we're going to be spending two weeks here on, on this passage, and I'll, you'll see why as we read through it. We're going to look at a, a lengthier uh, chunk here today. We're going to be looking at uh, verses, starting in verse 5 of chapter 6 in Matthew, going all the way through verse 18 this morning. Jesus teaching uh, his disciples, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that as we look at these two important areas of our spiritual life, Lord, our praying and our fasting, Lord, that you would help us to be people of prayer, that you would help us to be people who do fast and do seek your face. Lord, as we read this morning from Psalm 27, that you have said to us, seek my face. And like the psalmist David, we want to be able to say, Lord, your face we will seek. We thank you that you hear and answer our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're going to take two weeks here on this passage Next week, we're going to look in depth at what's called the Lord's Prayer, verses 9 through 13. Today, we're going to look at these verses that surround this prayer, these teaching that Jesus gives us here on prayer and fasting. And before we, we start working through this, I just want to remind you of the context. I want to remind you where this passage is in relation to the rest of the Bible, the rest of Scripture if we don't see it in its context, it's not going to have its, its proper place in our lives. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his followers, the people who were following him, the people who he was training 
for ministry. He was delivering this sermon to them and he was teaching them what it looked like to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. We had seen earlier when in Matthew's gospel and of course, by earlier, I mean sometime last year, about this time last year, when we were looking at those passages in Matthew's gospel, where Matthew had told us that Jesus was the King of Israel, the Messiah, the long-awaited Deliverer, and that when Jesus came, he came preaching that the kingdom of heaven, the rule and the reign of God, that it was at hand. And here Jesus is teaching his people... Those who have been called out of darkness, as we sang this morning, as we started with that first song this morning, that he called our name, that he, he called us out of darkness, and he called us into the, the day, the marvelous light of Christ. For, for those who have been called out, how do we live? What does it look like that salvation, when it comes to our hearts and when it comes to our lives, it changes things? That, that, that walking with Christ, that, that being a Christian is not just believing some things about someone, that, it, that the things that we believe about Christ, that it, when, we, when we exercise our faith and we put our faith upon Christ and his finished work on the cross, that it changes who we are. Amen. It changes us. We're not the same. Amen? How many of you, that's your testimony? That you're not the same. And so this, this shows us, Jesus is just teaching how to live our lives, not as a, a religious Pharisee or as he calls it, a, a hypocrite, someone who was just playing religious games, someone who was just going through the motions of religious activity. No, that, that, that Christianity is true heart religion. It's, it's lived out from the depths of our soul. It's not just about the external way that we live. It transforms our hearts and then how we live that out. And so here, last week we looked at Jesus teaching on... There's these three areas here in Matthew 6 where he's teaching on... First, how you give. Second, how, what we're looking at today is then how, how you pray and how you fast. These, these ways that you practice your personal walk with the Lord. This is for the Christian. This is for the believer, those who have put their faith in Christ. And so I, I tried to break this into four M's today, and I could only come up with two M's. So I tried really hard. I just, I just couldn't figure out how to do it. Maybe you're better than me, and you can come up right after and say, here are the four M's. I couldn't do it. I didn't drink enough caffeine, I didn't get enough sleep, I just couldn't figure it out this week. So instead of four M's, I have two M's and two F's, okay, that's, that's, sometimes that's just the way it goes. So I've got two M's and two F's for you this morning as we look at this passage. The first here is in the first uh, two verses, verse five and six, Jesus begins with the motivation of prayer, the motivation, why pray? But before he even gets to the motivation, he makes an assumption. Verse 5, we see it. He says, and when you pray, 
You must not be like the hypocrites. Before we even get to the motivation, he makes the assumption. And, and what's the assumption here that Jesus is making? That we will pray. Notice here, Jesus doesn't say, and if you pray, pray like this. No, Jesus says, and when you pray. This is the assumption that his people are a praying people. Not if you pray, but when you pray. Now, the, the Jewish people would pray three times a day. That was the way that they uh, organized their day. You'll remember Daniel uh, was commanded by the, the when he, Daniel was living in Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar issued a decree that you could not pray to any other god. You could only pray to King Nebuchadnezzar. Well, Daniel says, "Fooey on, fooey on that." Daniel goes and he he opens his windows and he he prays three times a day. So the assumption is that we will be a praying people. Amen? Not if you pray, but when you pray. Now, prayer can be difficult. Amen? Prayer is not an easy, for most people, is not an easy thing to do. This should not be shocking to us because prayer is part of spiritual warfare. I don't know anything about warfare that is easy. Everything about warfare is difficult. Everything. And so it should come to us as no surprise that prayer will come with difficulty. It will not be easy to pray. We live in a generation, my generation, we want everything to be easy, don't we? And if things are just even a little bit difficult or even a little bit inconvenient, I think we are way too quick to throw in the towel. We want everything to be easy in our lives. And we often think that if something is not easy, that there's something wrong. That, that something's not the way that it's supposed to be because it's not easy. That, that's, that's a false ideology. That's a false philosophy of life. That's a, a, I would even go as far to say as a satanic view of life. Before, when, when in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam, he put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. Before sin entered the world... Work was a part of human existence. So, so not everything in life is supposed to be easy. There will be things in life that are difficult. That doesn't mean that they're wrong. That doesn't mean that, that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. So prayer at times can be difficult. Martin Luther said this about prayer. He said, it is the hardest work of a Christian. The hardest work of a Christian. This is Martin Luther, the, the one who kicked off the Protestant Reformation. And this was a man who averaged two hours a day in prayer. Oftentimes he would even devote three to four hours a day to prayer. 
And so there is a spiritual battle that takes place every time we will determine to pray. But this should not uh, discourage us. This should show us how important prayer is. If there's so much demonic activity, so much pushback, when we try to pray, it should only underscore for us the essential nature and the important nature of prayer. It shouldn't cause us to shrink back and to throw in the towel. It should cause us to double down and say, not today, devil. You're not going to get the victory today, devil. I am going to pray today, devil. So if you find yourself struggling when it comes to this area of prayer, don't be discouraged. Don't think that, you know, that there's something unique to you that there's some sort of unique problem that you have. And that's another problem with our generation. We think, you know, we're these snowflakes and we're the only ones that, you know, have these problems. And no, it, prayer is difficult for almost everybody. It is spiritual warfare. Don't become discouraged. But press on. Press on. Make a plan to pray. Make a plan, make an outline, make a schedule, put it on your calendar. Do whatever you have to do to devote time to prayer. That's, that's just dealing with the assumption. Jesus' assumption is that his people are a praying people. Not if you pray, but when you pray. Now dealing with the motivation for prayer. Jesus says that there are certain people, hypocrites, he says... Again, we, we learned last week that that word hypocrite comes from a person who was in the theater who was playing a part, someone who was wearing a mask. That our, our religious life, our walk with the Lord is not just this mask that we put on, that we come to church and, and we just, you know, act like we have our lives all together and act like everything's perfect all the time. no. How many of you have a perfect life? Don't raise your hand. You're a hypocrite if you raise your hand. <laughs> Look, the church is not this country club where we all just come and schmooze and, you know, show off our cars in the parking lot or whatever. I don't know. I've never been to a country club, so I don't know what you do at one of them. Uh, but it's not one of those, I can tell you that. The church is a hospital. For sick people. Look, that's, that's who we all are. We're, we've all fallen short. Let, let's not kid ourselves and, and act all holier than thou, Jesus says, especially with this area of our prayer life. He says, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. He's dealing here with the motivation for prayer. Do you only pray when other people can see you? Do you only pray here on Sunday and worship here on Sunday? You can throw worship into that. Worship is just like a version of singing our prayers to the Lord. Prayer and worship go together. Do you only come to prayer? Do you only come to worship so that other people can see that you're a good Christian? Jesus says if you do that, you're a hypocrite. You, you've, you, you've, you have your reward. 
Your, your reward is people saying, oh, wow, they're at church today. Wow, okay, great. <laughs> Wonderful. He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. Your Father who is in secret will reward you. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Daniel went and he opened his windows. <laughs> Jesus is saying to shut the door. Listen, if, the, if the, the king or the president issues some sort of order dictating to us that we can't pray, guess what we're going to do? We're going to open our doors. I mean, that, 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 that's the issue. And, but are we going to do it so that other people can say, wow, how wonderful and wow, how, how pious and wow, how holy those people are? The answer is no. The answer is no. But what Daniel was doing was saying that there, there, is, there are certain commandments that God has given that supersede what any king, what any president, what any congress, what any court would say. And so Daniel is doing what the apostles did in the book of Acts when they said, we must obey God rather than men. And so Daniel wanted to make it known and plain and clear that he was not participating in the idolatry of his day. But Jesus is saying here on a, on a, on a regular basis, the motivation for our prayer, it is not to be seen by others. It's to get alone with God. It's to have fellowship with God, to go into that secret place, to go into that place where God is. And here's the amazing thing. This should, this should rock our world when we think about it, that God invites us in to his presence. That we are able to go into the presence of Almighty God. Now, some of you will say, well, God's everywhere all the time. He is omnipresent. Yes, he is. Yes, no doubt. No, God, no doubt God is here. No doubt his presence is with us always. But something happens when we intentionally, in our mind, make ourselves aware of the presence of God. And we set our heart and our mind and our attention and our focus on the Lord and, on, and, and, and endeavor to have fellowship and communion with him. And so Jesus says, go into that place. Go into that secret place. Uh, this, this word here, secret place, it is describing in, in, in the, some of the commentaries I read this week was talking about how in, in some people's homes they would have a place uh, that was secret where they would hide their treasure. They didn't have banks in those days where you could put your money away in the way that we do, they would need to keep uh, portions of their wealth on hand to be able to use it and to spend it. And so there would be a secret place, a secret chamber where they could go into. And what he's talking about here is he uses that phrase the commentators were saying because what he was wanting uh, them to understand is that there are riches in that secret place. That there are treasures with God in that secret place. That there is communion and there is fellowship and there are rewards in there in knowing God and loving God and having fellowship and communion with God. And so he was saying, just as you would go into that secret place to draw out what your treasured possessions are, what Jesus is saying is there's something we should treasure even more than that. 
is that is our fellowship and our intimacy with God in that secret place. And so our motivation is not to be seen by others, but our motivation is to have fellowship with God. Three things here under motivation. Why pray? First, because God commands us to pray. That should be enough, amen? That should be enough. God commands us to pray. We read it this morning, Psalm 28, 7. Your faith, God, God has told us to seek his face. We read that this morning in our opening passage. Seek my face, the Lord tells all of us. Seek my face. That's what prayer is. It's seeking God out. It's seeking his face. That we would be able to say like the psalmist David, your face, Lord, I will seek. We seek the Lord because he commands us to pray. Number two, we pray because prayer aligns our will with God's will. Prayer is not going to God with what you want to happen. Prayer is going to God and saying, God, we want your will to be done. That's why in this prayer, and we'll look at it more next week in depth, we are taught to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so prayer is not about us telling God what we want. Prayer is about us asking God for his will to be done in our lives. And so prayer, one of the things that it does is it, it aligns our will with God's will. It, it reorients our heart and our affections off of the desires of our flesh and towards God and his kingdom. And how many of you know we, we need that on the regular? Right? We, we, we need constantly to re reorient our heart and our affections off of the desires of our flesh and towards the kingdom of God. And the third, and this is incredibly important, and hopefully we understand this, is that prayer is the means, one of the means by which God accomplishes his sovereign will in the world. That God works through our prayers. This is what James says in James 5.16, that the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. That God works through our prayers. That God accomplishes his will as we pray. And so that's the motivation of prayer. The second that we see, remember I said we have two M's, the second M is in verses 7 and 8, and that's the method of prayer. So the first, the motivation, the why do we pray? Not to be seen by others, to have fellowship with God. The second, the, the motivation of prayer, or the method of prayer, the, the how do we pray? Jesus here in verse 7, he says, and when you pray, again the assumption, not if, but when. He says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This is the method of prayer. He says, don't heap up empty phrases. Now, other translations render that as vain repetitions. The pagans used to pray like this. They used to say the same words over and over and over again. And they thought that God would hear them, that their idols would, would, would answer their prayer, that they could get their idols' attention by the number of words that they used. 
And so they would have these prayers that they would just repeat over and over and over and over again, mindlessly babbling, with no thought to what they were saying, with their hearts not in it. And they thought again that they could get their idol's attention by the amount of words that they use. Now sometimes, and I, I hate to admit this, but we as Christians can do this too. We as Christians can get really good at using all the right terminology. Using all the right words. All the, the Christianese. That we can just start saying all these things and praying all this stuff. And we haven't even thought one, one thought about the words that we're saying. It's just this vain repetition that comes out of us. No thought. No engaging with our spirit, no heart involvement, just mindlessly saying all the Christian stuff. And if you get really good at it, like, you know, going to like PhD level, you learn how to do that in King James English, you know. And then, then everyone goes, wow. The these and the thous and the hasts and the hath nots and. You know, all of a sudden it's the 17th century again and we're all supposed to be really impressed. We as Christians should not pray that way. We cannot just mindlessly repeat words without thinking. If we're doing that, we're praying in a way that Jesus says not to pray. The... the, the the power in your prayer is not in the amount of words that you use or, or how eloquent that it is. It's the spirit that's behind it. It's the heart that's behind it. And this is what Jesus is getting at in all of these things, in giving and praying and fasting. It's not about the action so much. It's, it's about the heart that's behind it. And Jesus is saying, don't pray if your heart's not in it. Now, he's not saying don't pray. He's saying get your heart in it. Get your mind engaged. Another example of this, and I mention it because we live in San Antonio, is that praying the rosary is another example of what Jesus is talking about here. Just this mindlessly repeating these prayers over and over. Not to, not to mention the fact that when you get to Hail Mary... You're, you're praying to Mary, and that's blasphemy. Not to mention that. That we're only to pray to God as if Mary could hear our prayers, and if she could, that she could even answer them. Here, here's, here, listen to this. If Mary can hear your prayers, she is in torment today because of the blasphemy and idolatry that's being done in her name. She can't hear you. Only God can hear your prayers. Amen. Sorry, I had to. Sorry about that little. I mentioned Martin Luther, and so now I'm on this like Reformation rant. So, our hearts and minds must be engaged when we pray. The method of our prayer is to engage our hearts, and our minds, and our spirit. It's not the amount of words that matters. God already knows what we need before we ask. Before we ask. This moves us from our two M's section now to our two F's section. 
I want to talk about forgiveness and prayer. Forgiveness and prayer, verse 14 and 15. And again, next week we're going to come back and look at this section on the Lord's Prayer 9 through 13. But looking at verse 14, he says, If you, for if you forgive others their trespasses, that's the, the way that they've sinned against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now again, I want to remind you of the people he's talking to. This is really important. He's talking to a people who have been forgiven of their sins. He's talking to people who are in covenant with God through the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. He's talking to people who have had their sins forgiven, who have been justified, who when God sees us, he does not see a sinner, he sees a saint. Amen. When God sees us, he doesn't see our righteousness, which is as filthy rags, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. Amen. So we have to keep that in mind of the people that he is talking to. He's talking to a forgiven people. And so here, the forgiveness that God is talking about, it is not the forgiveness of salvation, but he's talking about the forgiveness of fellowship. The forgiveness of fellowship. You see, when we come into covenant with God, we receive the forgiveness of salvation, that we are justified before God. That is positionally, we are forgiven people in covenant with God. But as we live out our lives and walk in fellowship with God, when we sin, we are to go to God in repentance, not, so, not because we lost our salvation, but so that our fellowship can be renewed. So that our fellowship can be renewed. So an example of this is in marriage. How many of you are married today? Amen. I thank God for marriage. It is a blessing. I was going to ask how many of you are happily married, but I don't want to put anybody on the spot this morning. Now, in marriage, from time to time, there can be offenses. I don't know if you know anything about this. From time to time, we can do things and we trespass against one another. How many of you have experienced that? Come on, I said no hypocrites in church. We trespass against one another. Now when we do that, for whatever reason, whatever the issue is, are we still married? Are we still married? Absolutely, we're still married. We have a covenant with one another. But until there is forgiveness, our fellowship is broken. Until there is forgiveness, our intimacy, our closeness is broken. And what Jesus here is talking about, this forgiveness, this is the forgiveness of fellowship. What he's talking about is that if I refuse to forgive my neighbor or forgive my brother, if I harbor unforgiveness in my heart and I come to him and I pray things like, Oh, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
while at the same time refusing to forgive the person who has sinned against me, I am being a hypocrite. Because it is the will of God that I forgive my neighbor. So how can I honestly, genuinely pray for God's will to be done if I'm harboring unforgiveness in my heart? You can't. You can't pray that prayer with unforgiveness in your heart. And so what Jesus here is saying is if you come to God in prayer thinking that you're going to get anywhere, when you have unforgiveness in your heart, you are not going to have fellowship with God. You will not have fellowship with God with unforgiveness in your heart. The reason why is because if we truly have experienced the forgiveness of Christ, if we truly have had our sins forgiven, we in turn should forgive others. Because what I have done against Christ, my sins against God, you could stack them up from here to the moon. But the sins that others have done against me, they don't even, they're they're subatomic particles compared to the sins I've committed against God. And if God has forgiven me, I should in turn forgive others. And what Jesus here is saying is that we will not have fellowship with God. We will not have uh, that closeness, that intimacy with God in prayer if we are harboring unforgiveness in our hearts against others. So if you will not forgive your neighbor, it will hinder your prayer life. It will hinder your prayer life. So if, if, if one of the reasons that you find prayer to be so difficult, one question that you should ask is, is there anybody I'm refusing to forgive? Is there anybody I'm holding a grudge against? Is there anybody that I'm bitter towards? Is there anybody that I'm harboring ill will towards? You need to take that to the Lord and you need to ask first for forgiveness for your unforgiveness. And then in faith, forgive them. And guess what you might have to do? You might have to forgive them again in 15 seconds. At least that's sometimes the way it's been with me. I have at times struggled to forgive certain people for certain things. And endeavoring to follow Christ and have fellowship with the Lord, we lay that before the Lord. God, help me to forgive this person. I forgive this person. I hold no ill will against them. Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would prosper them. I pray that your your hand of favor would be on their life. In Jesus' name, amen. Five seconds later. Lord, I just ask for you to help me to forgive this person. I'm walking in forgiveness today. I'm doing it by faith. Unforgiveness is a prison. Unforgiveness is a prison that keeps you bound to your past. It keeps you bound in the past. Everything that you are holding against someone refusing to forgive them of, guess where it's at? It's in the past. And so unforgiveness, keeping you bound in the past, it robs you from the future that God has for you. Forgive. If God has forgiven you, you can then leverage his forgiveness for you as you forgive others. 
Amen? So that we can honestly pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. And Lord, I know that it is your will that I walk in forgiveness. God, help me to walk in forgiveness today. So we have the motivation for prayer. We have the method for prayer. We have forgiveness and prayer. And finally today, I'm reserving the shortest portion for us as we're about to go to lunch on fasting and prayer. <laughs> fasting and prayer. Fasting, he says here in verse 16, and I hate to point this out, but again, he doesn't say, and if you fast. At least my Bible. I had to check like 17 translations to make sure that's correct. It's not if you fast, it is when you fast. Do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. They would, you know, look gaunt and, and even uh, some people said that they would put ashes on their face and, you know, try to make themselves just look so uh, sickly. He says, don't do that. He says, truly, I've said, say to you, they have received their reward. They're doing it to be seen by others. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, you know, do what you normally do. Take a bath, comb your hair, brush your teeth. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting, uh, classically, is the total abstinence of food. It's, it's cutting off food from your life for a period of time. Uh, that's where we get our word for breakfast from. Breakfast is literally breaking our fast. And depending on if you got up at four in the morning and had a snack, it's a longer fast or a shorter fast in the middle of the night. But that's where we get this idea of breakfast from in the morning when we eat breakfast. We're breaking our fast of, of the night, having not eaten since whenever. But it's the total abstinence of, of food and it's a form of self-denial. And it's denying yourself, it's denying your body, it's denying the, the appetites of the flesh for a, a, a period of time so that you may intentionally set aside food and set aside that time and other time to purposefully seek the Lord, to purposefully, intentionally focus your life towards seeking the Lord. Now the Pharisees, we read about in the Gospels, that they fasted twice a week. And they did it in a very public display, again, to be seen by others. But Jesus says that when we fast, when we, we, we set aside time specifically to seek the Lord, even to the point where we deny ourselves physical sustenance, that we might uh, sustain ourselves on Christ himself, that we do it not to be seen by others, not to be uh, our righteousness put on display. But we do it to, to focus our lives on seeking the Lord. Now, there's several different reasons we see people fasting in the Bible. I want to give you two of them this morning that might be applicable to us. The first fast that we see in the Bible is the fasting of repentance and mourning over sin. The fasting of repentance and mourning over sin. We see this often in the Bible. We see Nehemiah when the people had sinned and, 
and they had intermarried with the idolatrous nations surrounding uh, the people of Israel that Nehemiah called a nationwide fast of mourning and repentance over the sin of the nation. Uh, we see Nineveh, when Jonah goes and preaches to them, that when they hear Jonah's message and they, they, they receive it, they fall on their faces before God and the king of Nineveh calls a fast. The whole nation fasts in repentance and mourning over sin, asking for God's forgiveness. We see Paul, when the Lord appears to him on the road to Damascus, blinding him that he does not eat or drink, it says, for three days until the man Ananias comes in and lays his hands on him and he regains his sight. That, that the Apostle Paul was so shaken and, and so uh, uh, pierced to the core of seeing Christ, of this revelation of Christ, that he was in mourning and did not eat or drink for three days, but that he fasted. Now this kind of fasting, this repentance fasting, this mourning for sin, it can be done for your own sin in your own life, but it can also be done for the sins of your people. For the sins of your people. Again, we see examples of this like Nehemiah. He had not committed the sins of the nation that the nation had committed Nevertheless, he calls and participates in this nationwide fast for the sins of his people. This is something that God might even move you to as we look at our nation and its rampant sin. That God might move upon your heart to have a fast, a personal fast of repentance and mourning over the sin of our nation. But when you do that, Please do not go to Instagram and to Facebook and say, I'm fasting because of this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do the humble brags like I talked about last week. Don't drop the hints. Oh, I'm just so hungry today. Oh, really? Why? Well, since you asked, you know, I'm fasting. No, we don't do it to be seen by others, but to be seen by God. The second that we see often in Scripture is seeking God's special guidance or blessing. Seeking God's special guidance or blessing. We see Queen Esther ask her uncle Mordecai, and the Jews who were with him, and she herself and her servants, before she goes in to meet with the king, she calls a fast. Let, 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 us, let us devote ourselves to prayer, to seeking the Lord, and fasting before I go in to do this. King Jehoshaphat, when he saw the armies of the nations that he was about to go into battle with, he called a fast of the nation. Now, again, this might seem counterintuitive, as you're about to go into war, all the army doesn't eat. That, that, that might seem counterintuitive. But Jehoshaphat understood that if God's not with us, we're toast anyway. If God's special blessing in his hand is not on us, it doesn't matter how much we eat, how much strength that we have. It is not by might. It is not by power. It is by the Spirit of God. Jehoshaphat understood that. 
And the Lord gave them the victory, by the way. We see Ezra, before he leads uh, the Jews back from exile, that he calls a fast. And he says, let us pray that God would protect us and keep us safe on this perilous journey and give us favor as we go back to rebuild the nation and the city of Jerusalem. We see Jesus fast for 40 days before he begins his public ministry. So, so there are times and there are seasons, there are special endeavors uh, that we might be going about in our lives where we need special guidance from the Lord or we need God's, we, we're asking for God's special blessing on certain, a certain endeavor for the kingdom of God where we might call a fast. As I was studying this this week, I was reminded that oftentimes uh, we would, as a church, before our missions conference, we would call on, on God's people to, to fasting and to prayer. And I think that this is something that uh, we should, as a church, look into again and get back to again. As we want God's special blessing to be on those times of our missions conference, that this is a time for us to devote special time to the Lord in fasting and in prayer. And so, to sum it all up today, we need to pray more. We need to seek God's face more. I don't know how often you pray. I don't know how much you pray. Nobody knows that. That's between you and that's between the Lord. The, the, the issue is not comparing yourselves to one another. The issue is your walk with the Lord. And I know that we all need to pray more. We, we live in a world with so many distractions so many things constantly fighting for our attention. We as God's people need to be the kind of people who will put our attention and our focus and devote ourselves to prayer. So how often are you praying? Let me encourage you to pray more. Let me encourage you, if you could, endeavor to double the amount of time that you are spending in prayer, to double it. You know, if we only pray one hour a day, we're, we're devoting less than uh, 10% of our time to the Lord. If we're only praying one, time, one hour a day, it's, it's about 5% of our waking hours. It's less than 5% of our waking hours devoting it to the Lord. I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a good place to try to get to. If you're at, like, I don't even pray I, I don't even pray ever. Well, don't try to pray for an hour. Hey, go for it. But try to pray for five minutes a day. Try to pray for 10 minutes a day. Start somewhere. Just start praying. And next week, we're going to go into more into the method of prayer. And we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to give you some practical things to help you do that. But today, the motivation of prayer. How much are you praying? Double it. If you say, well, I don't pray at all, so zero times whatever, zero times two is still zero. Well, come on, you know, start. If you're not praying at all, start. Start praying daily. Try to dedicate time to the Lord to prayer and, and ask the Lord to bless that and to help you to grow in that. John Wesley, who was the 18th century revivalist, the founder of Methodism, he said this, that he thought very little of a man who did not pray four hours every day. He would get up every morning at 4 a.m. 
to seek God for the first four hours of the day. Later in his life, John Wesley was known to spend up to eight hours a day in prayer. You might say, well, I don't have, I don't have that kind of time. Nobody does. Nobody does. And that's the whole point. It's because we want to be walking in the Spirit. Listen, when, when God is involved in our lives, you will be amazed at the things that He will make happen. Amen. At the way He will bless and move. But when we try to live life in our own strength, we don't have the time to do it. So let us remember that God commands us to pray that prayer aligns our will with God's will, and that prayer is the means by which God accomplishes His will. And let us also remind ourselves of the times that we're living in. These are dark days. These are dark days that we're living in, where evil is running rampant, idolatry paraded in the street, children being indoctrinated, children being mutilated, children being murdered, Children being kidnapped, bought, and sold. We are living in dark days. And we need God's intervention in the times and the days that we are living in. And God will not intervene until God's people pray. Amen. This is what he said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And I will heal their land. It starts with God's people praying. Sometimes I wonder with all of our distractions, sometimes it feels a little bit like we're so complacent. It feels like we're the complacent passengers on the Titanic who thought, there's no way this ship can go down. There's no, there's no way. And we're seeing some serious warning signs in our nation. And if it doesn't cause us to pray... I don't know what will. We are so distracted by so many trivial, fruitless, pointless things. I'm not saying that you can never, you know, watch a ball game. I'm not saying you can never go to Six Flags. I went to Six Flags Friday and I had a wonderful time and I did it to the glory of God with my kids, all right? But what I am saying is that we, we need to put our focus on the Lord. And if all of these other things, good as they are, fun as they are, wholesome as they are, if they would have our attention and our focus, we need to repent. We need to get down on our knees. We need to ask God to forgive us for our prayerlessness. Jesus' assumption is not that if you pray, Jesus' assumption is that when you pray, and so a Christian who is not praying is a Christian who is not following Jesus. And so let us pray. Let us be people of prayer. Let us devote time to prayer. 
Let, let us put space in our lives. Let us carve it out. Let us say no to some things so that we can say yes to prayer. Let, let us turn off the TV. Let us turn off the Instagram and the YouTube and the Facebook. It's just constantly trying to get our attention. And let us devote our times to prayer. And let us pray that God would send revival in our land. That God, and revi- you know, revival is when God's people come back. That's what, like, revival is when the church wakes up. That's what I'm praying for. Because when the church wakes up, we can then go out and have an impact in the world. That God's people would humble themselves and pray. Would you stand with me this morning? Dear Lord, we thank you that you've given us this wonderful gift of prayer. It's incredible that at any moment we can be ushered into, whisked into your presence. That we can have the ear of our creator. Lord, we pray that you would move in your church, that you would move in your people, that you would stir our hearts, that you would stir our lives. Lord, that you would prevail upon us. Lord, that your word that we've looked at today, that it would pierce us, that it would pierce our soul. Lord, that you would cause us to be people of prayer. Lord, just as you cleansed the temple, there were so many activities and things going on there. And you said that your house would be a house of prayer. Lord, we know now that there's not a physical temple somewhere, but that now you take up residence in us. That our bodies are the temple where your, where your spirit dwells. So Lord, that we, this house, our temple would be a house of prayer. Lord, that you would draw us into prayer, that you would teach us to pray. Lord, as we come back next week and we work our way through the the model prayer that you gave, Lord, that you would even bless that time. Lord, that you would lead us into seasons of, of fasting. Lord, as we endeavor to accomplish great things for you. Lord, as you move on our hearts and break us, of our personal sin as you break us, you break our hearts for the sin of our nation, that you would lead us into times of mourning, into fasting. And Lord, that we would do so in confidence, knowing that you who sees in secret will reward. The rewards that you give are Lord, beyond our imagination, but we know that one of them is answered prayer. That what we pray in secret, that you would act and that you would move. Lord, I know that in a congregation this size and in this group of people here today, that there are many things that we need you to move in. 
Lord, so many situations and so many circumstances, our health, provision, marriages, parenting, employment, relationships, Lord, so many different areas where we're a needy people, we need you to move. Lord, we thank you that you know what we need before we even ask and that you promise to meet all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Well, I thank you for this congregation. I pray that you would make us a people of prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.